The first scripture reference that I want us to refer to is John chapter 1. I want to read verses 32 through 42. John chapter 1, verses 32 through 42. And if you will, open your Bibles and just follow with me as I read. And John bare record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and uh, remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I saw and bare record that this is the Son of God. Again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speaking, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master. He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt, and abode with them that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have heard the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought, and he, and he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. I wanted to point that out because the very first thing that Andrew did after he met Jesus was to find his brother and bring him and introduce him to Jesus Christ. And I believe that this is what every one of us need to do. This is what we are called to do. I believe that every one of us as Christians are born to reproduce. We need to be ready and, and willing at a moment's notice to share Christ with other people. Now, <clears throat> I think that everybody knew Simon Peter back then. They knew how wishy-washy he was. Jesus said, you know, you're Simon, son of Jonah. And interpreting Simon in the Greek language is you're a reed. You're like a reed blowing in the wind. Every time the wind blows, the, the, the reed will go one way or the other. And that's just the way Simon Peter was before he really came to know Christ. You know, he was always sticking his foot in his mouth. But even after he came to know Christ, he was still wishy-washy. And you couldn't depend on a whole lot that he said until after the Holy Spirit came. Now, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and, and dwelt within him. And he went out into the streets of Jerusalem and he proclaimed the good news of Christ. About 3,000 souls were added to the church that day. And you'll find as you study the life of Simon Peter, he was never that reed blowing in the wind anymore. He became that rock that Jesus told him that he would become. And uh, he was such a, a great Christian that tradition tells us when he was ready to be crucified, and he was crucified. Tradition tells us that Peter said, I feel honored to be crucified as my Savior, but I'm not worthy to be crucified as he was, so would you crucify me head down? And tradition tells us that Peter was crucified, but he was crucified head down. 
I don't know that that's true, but I, I think that it very possibly could be. And then I want us to look at another passage of Scripture found in Matthew chapter 28, and all of us know this well. Matthew chapter 28. I'm going to begin reading with verse 18. I'm going to read, begin reading with verse 18 and just through, read through the remainder of the chapter. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always even to the end of the world. Now, he's not just saying this to his apostles of 2,000 years ago. This is a command that he has given to every born-again Christian. I believe that every one of us are to take advantage of every opportunity to share Christ with others. Now, a better way to interpret this great commission it's not go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, but it is as you go, as you go into the world, as you go into the world, preach the good news of the gospel to every creature. And as they receive Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives, baptize them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always even to the end of the world. Now, a lot of times we win, we baptize, but we fail to train. If you go back to the book of Acts, you'll find after the day of Pentecost, those 3,000 people that received Christ, they followed faithfully in the apostles' doctrine, in their teaching. They went from house to house. They had meals together. They had fellowship together. Great things happened after the coming of the Holy Spirit. And then that leads us to Acts uh, chapter 1 and 2. Let me just quote that. In uh, Acts chapter 1, Jesus was with his apostles on the Mount of Olives. They still did not understand all that was taking place. They didn't understand, you know, a lot of the things that Jesus had taught. They did not understand the crucifixion. They were thrilled absolutely beyond words that Jesus had come forth from the dead and was alive again. They still thought that he was going to set up his earthly kingdom and restore the kingdom to Israel. And they were asking him about this on the Mount of Olives. But Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the time nor the season which the Father hath put in his own power. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you're to be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. After this, his feet began to lift up off the ground and he went up and up and up and the clouds received him out of their sight. 
In other words, from the Mount of Olives that day, he ascended into heaven. All right, these apostles left that place and they talked about all that they had experienced. Well, they stood there looking up and and, uh, two angels stood by them and they asked, Why stand ye looking up into heaven? Do you not know that the Lord will come again in like manner as you have seen him go? Well, it was at that point that they left the Mount of Olives and they made their way back into Jerusalem talking about the things that had taken place. They went to an upper room, perhaps the very same upper room, where Jesus had observed the Lord's Supper, where they had observed the Feast of the Passover. They met together with others which numbered, what was it, 120? They entered into a 10-day prayer meeting. Now, these people really prayed. They prayed until they were in one mind and in one accord. And on the tenth day, the Holy Spirit came. A sound of a rushing mighty wind filled the room where they were. Now, all of us have heard the rushing wind in recent days. I can sit in the living room in the parsonage and I can hear the wind as it moans around the chimney corner. I don't know that that was the sound that they heard or just a that sound that came that day. But they heard the sound of a rushing mighty wind. Then they saw tongues of fire that came into the room, and the tongues of fire, these flames of fire, lit upon them. And then the flames of fire went in them. And this was symbolic of the coming of the Holy Spirit. This was the advent of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and I think that I have told you before, maybe some of our Wednesday night meetings, I grew up in an emotional church. I grew up where people used to shout. I have heard the story about the coming of the Holy Spirit and the infilling of the Holy Spirit. And I could just visualize what took place in that upper room there that day. I thought that those people shouted until they about tore the roof off. But no, the Bible doesn't say anything about them shouting. But they went into the streets of Jerusalem and they began to share Jesus Christ with all the people in Jerusalem. There were people from every nationality in the world, people from every tongue. These, uh, uh, these people that were in that meeting, they began to share Christ with those people. Those people heard them in their own tongues. Now, I never have uh, really known for sure if they spoke in another tongue or if these people just understood in another tongue. I rather think that they spoke in the language of the people. Now, uh, I believe that we're to speak in the language of the people. We maybe don't know Spanish. We don't know French. But I believe that through interpreters, we are to reach out to people in all parts of the world in every nationality. I have opportunity to lead people to Christ every once in a while. A lot of times on hospital beds, I I have uh, led people to Jesus Christ, and I would share with them the plan of salvation. I would lead them in the sinner's prayer. They would pray the prayer, and many times they would weep as they prayed this prayer. And I would share with them, now be sure to share your commitment with others. When family members come in, share with them what you have done. Well, so often... 
as uh, I see members of that family a little bit later, I will ask, did so-and-so share with you what he or she did? No? What did they do? Well, I would share with them how that they accepted Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives. And it always bothered me. It always has bothered me. People who receive Christ are timid about sharing this profession of faith with others. Now, I realize that a lot of times people don't understand what they've done. Well, I don't guess any of us really understood uh, the total picture when we received Christ. I still don't understand it fully. But I know that Jesus Christ came into the world. He came to suffer for our sins. He came to die on the cross to pay the penalty, the penalty for our sins. And what is the penalty? Penalty is death. The wages of sin is death. But I'm glad that that verse of Scripture doesn't stop there. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So it's through accepting Him, through receiving Him as Savior and Lord of our lives, that we become a part of the family of God. And once we become a part of that family, then we are to multiply. God has not saved any of us just to make us a reservoir of His heavenly blessings. But I believe that we're to take advantage of every opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with others. Now, let's talk about going into a home to bear witness of Christ. Have you ever thought about how you really do it? And a lot of you have have done it. Do you want to share with me the method that you use? Any of you? When you go into a home to share Christ with others... What do you do? All right, let me make some suggestions. When you go into a person's home to witness to them about the saving powers of Jesus Christ, you don't go right into the witnessing part immediately. If you do that, then they put up a wall, and so often you don't break through that wall. The first thing you do is talk with them about things that they enjoy talking about. Now, what do we enjoy talking about? Ourselves. We really do. We enjoy talking about ourselves. We enjoy talking about our families. And us grandparents, we really do enjoy talking about our grandchildren. All right, you'll see pictures around in the house. Begin to ask, is this your family? Uh, How many children do you have? Ask them questions that they can't answer with a yes or a no. That they sort of have to go into detail in, in explaining these things. And as you get into the conversation, then you eventually bring them around to the purpose that you went there for. You bring them around to the purpose of sharing Jesus Christ with them. Now, first of all, you've got to win their confidence. I've told you again and again about George and Johnny Mullinax. First time I visited with them, I was scared to death. I was afraid they'd shoot me because I'd heard so much about these people. I mean, they were atheists to the nth degree, and and they they sure didn't like preachers. Well, I knew that when I went. 
But I went in and I talked with them about things that they enjoyed talking about, even though Johnny was half drunk, two-thirds drunk. I had been in Germany, and we somehow got off on Germany, and I shared with him that I had just come from there, you know, in recent years. Well, he was in World War II, and, and we began to talk about places that both of us had been, and I'd been in some of the very same places that he had been. Well, he began to bring out pictures and show me, you know, pictures of Germany. And I could identify with those pictures. Well, I had a wonderful visit. But right at the very end, I said, by the way, I've got to go. I've got to go. It was nearly 10 o'clock, and Polly was expecting me back three hours ago. I said, before I go, uh, I'm the new pastor down here. <laughs> at uh, Mills River Baptist Church. And I wonder if I could have a prayer with you before I go. Well, it was like I spit in her face. I mean, you could just see the change that took place. And, and George didn't say anything. He continued to rock in his rocking chair and spit his ambier in the fireplace. I mean, he's chewing tobacco, and he was just rocking and spitting the whole time I was praying. But Johnny said, sure, go ahead and play the cuss, great big, and said, pray all you want to. Well, I had prayer with him. And then when I started to leave, I'll not tell you about Johnny's prayer. I've told you that before. When I started to leave, they followed me out on the front porch and just continued to talk. And then they invited me back. And I went back. And George and Johnny Mullinax visited with us at the parsonage. And uh, people were absolutely amazed. They couldn't believe John and George, George Mullinax went to see the preacher, but they did. But on the very last, when George was right on the very threshold of death at the age of 93, 93 years old, on his deathbed, he accepted Christ. Late one evening, he died before the night was over. Now, that's cutting it too close. But if I had not gone to visit with them, if I had not made friends with them, I would have never been able to share Christ with George Mullinax. George would never have asked them to call me the night that he was so sick and on, on uh, the threshold of death. Johnny, as far as I know, has never made a profession of faith. He's probably just as mean as he ever was. Um, Johnny was a rascal to the nth degree. After his dad died, now he'd run his dad off, and I've told you about this, tried to shoot him, and George shoved the shotgun, and the gun went off and just burned a, a lane out on the side of his head. George had to go stay in a hunting cabin way back up in the mountains. But Johnny would go up to his dad's grave, and there was a fence there, and his dad was buried right in, in the fence corner. And Johnny would take him a case of beer up there and drink beer and throw cans over on his dad's grave. Well, the neighbors got together, and they put up two big posts, put a chain across the road so Johnny couldn't get to the cemetery to throw beer cans on his dad's grave. One day I was in, in my study and I heard this clattering, banging noise and I went and looked out the window and J Johnny was coming down the road. He had taken his truck and he'd hooked onto that log chain and pulled those two stakes up and he's going down the road dragging them. That's just the kind of person he was. Just the kind of person he was.
But uh, we should never give up on people. We should continue to pray for them and pray that God would open doors so that we can share Christ with them. All right, how do we share Jesus Christ? It's wonderful to know the scriptures and be able to share with them the scriptures. But if you have had a real salvation experience, you don't have to really know the scriptures. Now, you have to know how to be saved. But if you have had a real salvation experience, then you can share with them your experience. Now, I didn't know somebody, when I became a Christian, if somebody had told me to look up Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, I'd have probably started in the Old Testament trying to find them. I knew nothing about the Bible. But I remember Dan Wallen told me that day in his study... He said, I want you to get down on your knees and I want you to tell God exactly what you want Him to do for you. Now, old Dan had, had witnessed to me faithfully. I'm telling you what, every time I'd look up, there was Dan most of the time. But anyhow, I did get on my knees in his study that, that day. It was on a Saturday afternoon. And I remember I prayed a prayer like this, Lord, I really do not know how to be saved. But whatever it takes to save me, I want you to do it. I want you to forgive me of my sins and I want you to come into my heart and into my life and become Savior and Lord of my life. As best as I know how, I commit myself to you right now. All right? And there wasn't a lightning flashing, a thunder rolling experience. I don't think I shed a tear. But for the first time in as far back as I could remember, it seemed that I didn't have a burden in the world. I had an inner peace that passeth all understanding. Now, a salvation experience doesn't have to be emotional. Sometimes it is. But the only thing that a person has to do is, first of all, realize I am a sinner. I realize I cannot save myself. I realize that Jesus Christ is the Savior. He is the only way whereby one can be saved. And if we will put our faith and trust in Him, and if we will ask for forgiveness of our sins and ask Him to come into our hearts and into our lives... He comes immediately. You don't have to beg and you don't have to plead with Him. He's already done everything that needs to be done to save us. And all we have to do is just invite Him in. Now, I did that. And that has become my so winning testimony. As I began to talk with people about Christ, I will say... This is the way I did it. And then I would share with them my salvation experience. Many times people have come to know Christ. Now I know that the Bible teaches, you know, you must repent. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You must believe. Now it's more than just believing that Christ is some historical person that lived 2,000 years ago. 
It goes on to say, as for as many as receive him to them, gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. A good illustration of this is, you can know that you're dirty. You can even go to the store and buy a whole case of soap. You can bring it home and you can put it on the shelf. Even though you have the soap and you know what you have to do to be clean, you're going to stay dirty until you apply that soap to your body along with water. Well, you have to receive Christ as Savior and Lord of your life before you become a Christian. You don't just believe in Him as some historical person, but you receive Him. You invite Him into your heart and into your life. And then we're to confess him. Now he went on to say, if you're ashamed of me, then I'll be ashamed of you when I come in the glory of the Father with the holy angels. You can't be ashamed of Christ. In fact, if you've really had a salvation experience, I don't see how in the world anyone could be ashamed of him. I think that, that we, need, we need to uh, take advantage of every opportunity to serve him. We confess Him and then we obey Him. Now, we're never going to live a life of perfection. Never, as long as we live in the body. But I believe that we ought to strive every day to be more like Him. Every day we need to strive to be more like Him. Uh, For one of these days, we're going to stand before God and we're going to give an account. Now, when we come to the judgment bar of God, or when we come to the, to the day of judgment, we're not going to be judged as to, as to whether we're uh, sinners or, or, or Christians, or lost or saved. We're going to be judged by the good works that we do. And this is going to determine our rewards in heaven. And I believe that there's going to be rewards in heaven, and there's going to be different degrees of punishment in hell. I really do believe that. And Jesus gave that demonstration in in the scripture that I used last Sunday when um, his chief steward took took upon himself the responsibility of of beating and abusing and mistreating the men servants and the maid servants. And there were other servants that took part in this and they too beat and they abused the servants and they drank and they got drunk and they did the very same things that the chief steward did. But Jesus said that they did not hear the command of the master. They were following the influences of the chief steward. He said that the chief steward would be beaten with many stripes and would be cast out with the unbelievers. But he also said that those who participated in it would be beaten with fewer stripes. And he didn't say anything about them being cast out with the unbelievers. But the chief steward, the one that really knew, was going to suffer a whole lot more than those that didn't know. So I do believe that there's going to be degrees of punishment in hell just as there are degrees of rewards in heaven. Now, I wonder, do you have something that you'd like to share with us? Maybe your own salvation experience, or maybe the experience of leading someone else to a saving knowledge of Christ. Any one of you.
And that, that really is the key. Loving people. Loving people. Now, if you go out just to bear witness without loving people, they, they're going to pick up on it immediately. And you're not going to have any influence on them at all. But love them enough until you can feel with them. And I, I believe that's what the church is all about. We need to get to the point that we feel with each other. We need to be able to rejoice with those that rejoice. We need to be able to weep with those that weep. We need to be able to hurt with people. And when you get to that point, then you're going to have an influence for Jesus Christ because this was what he did. Anyone else? I want to really emphasize prayer as you go to witness. That, that ought to be the very last thing you do before you enter that house. Lord, I'm, I'm here to bear witness of you. I know that I can't do it on my own. I know that you're going to have to lead me. You're going to have to be my go-between. And through the presence of your Holy Spirit, I want you to convict of sin. And I want you to make a way for this person to become a, become a Christian tonight. Also, remember how dependent we are on the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Now, you notice in the book of Acts, Jesus didn't say, go bear witness of me. But he said, wait for the promise of the Father, which you have heard of me. And he said, the Holy Spirit is coming, and after the Holy Spirit has come, then he will empower you to be witnesses unto me. Now, if you go out totally on your own and try to do it under your own power and under your own strength, you're going to fall flat of your face, guarantee you. And you're going to be a miserable failure. But if you realize how dependent you are on the convicting powers of God's Holy Spirit and you go under his power, under his authority, then God will use you in a very special way. My dad has told me many times, if you have a burden for a person, if God has laid someone on your heart and he has instructed you to go visit with them and bear witness to them, go immediately. Don't uh, put off, you know, uh, wait till I get this done and then I'll go. When God burdens you for that person, go immediately because that is a good sign that God is already working on the other end. And I have, I have had that experience again and again in my ministry. Uh, I think that we have shared with you the time when I was in Waynesville in the pastorate. And it was, I think, about 11 o'clock or maybe after 11, I was on my way home. I had been out visiting. And I went by this house. There was a couple and they had a little girl who was about... Nine or ten years old, beautiful little girl. They lived in this house, and, and I would pass by this house again and again, and I would feel, I need to stop. I need to visit with these people. Well, as I went by, the lights were on, even though it was after 11 o'clock. I passed by the house, and I just felt a real um, pull in my heart to turn and go back. So I turned around, went back, pulled into the driveway, went up and knocked on the door. And that's, that's not a good time to, to go visiting after 11 o'clock at night. But the man came to the door, a young man, barefooted, had his shirt off. They were getting ready for bed. 
And he saw who it was and he invited me in. Well, his wife came in. The little girl came in. And so I sat down and visited with him for a little while and then I began to share Christ. I just really felt impressed, really felt convicted that this is what I needed to do. I shared Christ with them and all three of them accepted Christ as Savior and Lord of their lives there that night. And those two became some of the greatest leaders in that church that they have had. Now, I've sort of lost contact with their daughter. I don't know where she is now. But I know that she was a beautiful little girl and grew up to be a, a beautiful young lady. And as far as I know, she's still living for Christ. Now, if I had not gone back that night, there's a possibility that we've never been able to have reached them. So you have to follow the leadership of God's Spirit and, and when you follow Him. Pardon me? Well, I just went in and sat down and visited with them. I, I, I had not met them. I had not met them. But I, I shared with them something about our family, and then I began to ask questions about their family. And I knew his mother and dad, and I knew one of his brothers. They were all in church, and I saw pictures on, on the wall, and I began to comment on those pictures. And his uncle used to be pastor of that church, and I, I commented on uh, Brother Gay Chambers, who was pastor of the, the church before me. But anyhow, little by little, I led into just asking the question, are you a Christian? I remember he first of all said, no, I've never accepted Christ. I asked his wife, no, I've never accepted Christ. I asked the daughter, no, I've never accepted Christ. Well, I shared with them then, you know, how I came to know Christ. And I said, I really feel that the Lord has led me here tonight for a purpose. And then I began to share with them the plan of salvation. And I said, I wonder if I could lead you in the sinner's plea tonight. I wonder if you would consider receiving him as Savior and Lord of your life. All three of them said yes. So I led them in the sinner's prayer and all three of them were saved that night. Now, I'll tell you what, Dave said a while ago, you might get a lot of rejection, but when you have an experience like that, that stands out in your mind. And I'll tell you what, it'll make a soul winner out of everybody. Once you have that kind of an experience, then you will take advantage of these opportunities to share Christ with others. We're getting a little bit long-winded, but do you have anything that you would like to say before we close Anyone? Well, let me just say again, be a witness. Learn to take advantage of these opportunities to serve Christ. Be able to share Christ with others without any uh, bashfulness. Just say, I'm a Christian, let me share with you what Christ means to me. And uh, when you do that, you're going to see results. Let's stand for our closing prayer. I'm going to ask Brother Bill Bradshaw to lead us in our closing prayer.
nervous and come and give his life on the cross of Calvary. That we might have someone that we can